0: Welcome, welcome, everybody. Uh, Today, uh, Uh oh lost my thing, (laughs) lost my place already. Welcome to The Breakout Show. This is the opinion show for the WallStreet.io website and community giving a hot take on the world of trading from the water cooler conversations that we have behind the scenes. Today is July 7th, and we have a special guest joining us today. Uh, we have jake jake pelly up in uh in fresno there we go welcome jake
1: How are you doing? thank you for having me nick
0: <laughs> and of course uh, we have myself nick g joining you here from the wall street io studios in santa barbara all right so today we kind of threw things together really really quickly <laughs> Uh, in fact, I can already see some some mistakes that I made here off to the side, um, but don't worry about that. Uh, we're going to talk about mainly inflation and the Fed. Uh, you know, I I wanted to save an inflation show uh, for Jake because uh, Jake is like my go-to guy when it comes to like macro. <laughs> when it comes to to Fed, he's like really patient with me as well. Uh, I can remember remember like a month or two ago, I was really confused about. Um, you know, interest rates and in uh, Fed lending and and, uh, and, and uh, overnight repo stuff. And uh, it turns out uh, Jake Jake had the answers for me, pointed me in the right direction. So I really appreciate that. Um, Jake, I just wanted to kind of start with inflation and, and sort of, you know, set the scene that right now there's a lot of worry in the country uh, about, you know, price inflation and things going pretty crazy. I've, I've heard things like the Weimar Republic floated around where people are imagining like barrels of cash and it's the end of the world. Um, but, uh, I think maybe it could be framed a little bit more, uh, more, if uh, or, or, maybe it could be framed uh, a little bit better by not going all the way back to post world war one and uh, talk about something, I guess, relatively more recent, like the 1970s. Um, could you give us your take on like on what exactly was happening in the seventies?
1: So in the seventies, they um, they saw that the economy was overheating, and so Paul Volcker said, "Hey, we probably want to step put on the brakes a little bit." So him and Jimmy Carter worked out a formula to kind of slow the economy from overheating, and they just increased interest rates like crazy, which you know caused everything to kind of skyrocket.
0: Yeah, yeah, I heard things like uh, there were price caps on on stuff like lumber uh they were trying to like just control everything and that it just kind of uh kind of blew up in their faces right
1: i wouldn't say blew up i'd say worked as kind of intended because if you look at the next administration like reagan they Mm -hmm. talk about like reaganomics working and they never really give carter the credit he deserves from that inflation but um the 70s inflation is kind of just hey things are getting too hot let's tap the brakes you know, and it, it worked because they had kind of the foresight on what they needed to do. Now, we really don't have Paul Volcker style Federal Reserve inflation control anymore, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff, uh, uh, a lot of the views around inflation today as well, um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think that, you know, Yellen and, and Powell, Uh, maybe Bernanke, like all the, all the feds that eventually came out of that, um, you know, fed chiefs that came out of that were, were like highly influenced by that, by that era. And, um, you know, from what I can tell, uh, just the, the interest rates, um, you know, using the interest rate, going back to that same, well, to, to fix things over and over again, uh, has been just like the go-to, uh, of the fed ever since.
1: So I like to use this example. They had like a conference a few years ago called like, I think it was like the five feds. And they had everyone like right next to each other. Janet Yellen. They had uh, Ben Bernanke. They had Greenspan on a big screen. And then off to the corner, probably towards the end of the stage, they had Paul Volcker. And so the style of economy that we had during Volcker is vastly different. I, I like to call it we live in the cult of Greenspan now when it comes to federal policy.
0: Oh gosh, what is uh, what is that being the cult of of Greenspan? Is that just uh, I don't know, low low inflation or exuberance or or what?
1: Well, you figure Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, um, they all kind of follow off of Green, Alan Greenspan's kind of footsteps when it came to uh, the Federal Reserve's wanting to put pillars into the stock market and such, and they all worked under him. Uh, so uh, I think Powell might have been. Uh, Dipped his toe during that time as well, but all the previous Fed heads after Paul Volcker have all kind of followed Greenspan's model when it comes to the economy.
0: Mm. You know something. Uh, something else that I've I've kind of heard floated around out there is uh, is this idea of structural inflation, right? Um, in that you know we're we're seeing uh, inflation metrics that are that are up. And uh, and just the the idea of and they keep on saying like oh structural inflation structural inflation, but um, but I think that there's there's maybe some some big differences between the economy nowadays and the economy of the 1970s where we saw tons and tons of inflation. Where um, and you know this is my gut feeling on this was that there's just there was a ton of demand and low supply back then. Uh, but I don't think that we were competing with currency debasement as far as like, you know, printing out just tons, gobs and gobs of money. Um, I don't remember, but did they, were they like in the, in, were they in the throes of QE infinity back in the 70s when, when, you know, prices were, were going up higher?
1: Well, they actually, um, debt to GDP in the 70s was only like 34, 33%. Mm-hmm. Compared to now, I mean, our debt to GDP in the '70s was like 398 billion dollars. So, um, wow, that yeah, that sounds big, that isn't.
0: sounds so nice, right? It's <laughs> such a like yeah, small number. Yeah, that sounds pleasant. Now.
1: That's like four quarters of Apple earnings. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh man.
1: So, due uh, delay. Okay, cool. I was making sure no one's getting delayed there. Yeah, it. It's kind of a different environment. Like, they actually, in the 70s, they used the tools what the Fed was supposed to do. They increased interest rates, reduced dollars in circulation. And so, bam, you get inflation. Nowadays, we have, okay, we're going to pretty much floor interest rates. We're going to print as much money as humanly possible. And at the same time, we're going to put in a third pillar where we got to keep the stock market going. And on top of that, we're going to do a bunch of other programs that the Fed wasn't really designed to kind of carry. And so, the '70s and the current day models are kind of—they don't really mesh together. It's a different Fed between Paul Volcker and what we have now.
0: Yeah, I—I uh, I think uh, like I have, I have like a very uh, weak theory. All of my stuff is like weak theory on this because I'm not like, you know, very uh, specialized. Uh, yeah, let me see here. I'm checking the, the chat here. So I'm just going to check the chat. Uh, sound is good here for both Nick and Jake. Enjoying the conversation. Okay. Uh, you may have two windows open. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, options trader in the chat room. I just want to mention this uh, for the podcast listeners. We have a chat room going here. Uh, and sometimes, um, you know, we will have multiple tabs. For wall street the wallstreet.io website you know we'll have like multiple tabs going um i've been guilty of this and then suddenly you know (laughs) i'll hear like like three different sources of the same show so uh that's that's something to uh to check out for um or to 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 watch out for um but uh you know with regards going back to the 70s you know there i think about the dual mandate of the uh of the fed right um which which yeah. i believe it was supposed to be what unemployment and price stability and i'm not sure when that mandate was uh was created exactly <laughs> if that was like a, a reaction maybe to the uh to the 70s or or to some event uh, but as time you know as time's gone forward um i think that mandate has changed what do you uh, what do you think on that
1: well so that mandate was created when the fed was created on uh, jackal island oh yeah keeping the uh yeah that's something keeping the circular
0: that's something that uh, uh uh that bobby mentioned He's he's read that book uh you know was it the the monster of Jekyll island or something like that uh
1: the creature of jackal island the
0: creature of Jekyll island yeah yeah and uh and i always think of like oh well price stability and um uh, and employment uh, I think of those as like, oh, those are like the, the, the cover of the brochure <laughs> to the company that makes the sausage, right? <laughs> mixing, I'm mixing yeah. up my metaphors here. But you look at the cover, you're like, oh, unemployment and price stability. That sounds fantastic. I'm all for that, right?
1: <laughs> right. And and you think about it, any other time in history, like 5% unemployment, 6% unemployment, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, historically, like... Four percent is full employment in the United States and the Fed's like, Oh, we gotta keep inflation going because you know it's five percent. We can't we can't have five percent unemployment. But you know, historically in the United States, four percent unemployment is like is amazing. So they don't they don't really follow that mandate anymore. Um, to answer your question, the mandate changed after Greenspan took the office and he managed to do this thing called a soft landing where he managed to increase interest rates but the economy didn't blow up. And then from there, he went from kind of a really smart economist and banker to becoming known as Greenspan, you know, the guy who made the soft landing. And that's when he kind of changed his mentality from, hey, I I managed to do this. I don't want people to hate me anymore. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep the market from going down. And that kind of put in that new pillar of the the Fed coming in and wanting the market to kind of be stable, too. But that wasn't really part of their original mandate.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think you know. I think that maybe, maybe where it changed in, you know, um, from what I what I've heard is uh, is around 1987. That's that's something I picked up off of uh, uh, Linda Bradford Rashke. So she wrote a book, and she you know she was talking about how she was, <laughs> I believe she was in a short position of some kind. Um, you know, after that oh. after that dip. And, uh, you know, before then, there hadn't been any kind of precedence of the Fed reacting directly to a stock market event, right? Uh, it had always been yeah. in response to inflation or something like that. So here she is in a short position, and then suddenly, you know, a Tuesday or something, uh, the newspapers are all printing, the Fed is stepping in to backstop <laughs> backstop the fall, <laughs> and everyone's looking at it like, what, can they do that, you know? Uh, and that's also uh, something brought up by uh, uh, I think her name's Danielle DiMartino Booth. I've seen her on uh, on YouTube, and she was um, uh, she worked under the Dallas Fed uh, Fed chief at the time um dallas fed reserve chief and was was talking about how she was she was around there when they were first making that decision and she was thinking to herself like you can't do that that's a moral hazard you can't just come in and you know uh start printing out money to 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 stop a stock market fall and you know lo and behold i think we've become really really uh comfortable to say the least with that scenario since the 1987 uh, you know big big crash
1: well, people were, during that time, people were like, who has money? Who has money? Who can give us money to bail this out? And people were like, well, why don't we just tap the Fed? They have pretty much an unlimited supply of that. And everyone's like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Then all of a sudden <laughs> it went from, because you, you know how Wall Street is, the second they see money, a source of money, they're, they're going to keep tapping it over and over and over again to the point to where um, I'm pretty sure if the Fed were to come out today and say, you know what, 2% interest and quantitative easing ends, tomorrow i'm pretty sure the market would drop like 20 percent overnight
0: yeah yeah i think so too um you know something else uh you know just just like building on that that uh reactionary um uh, fed that seems to have become more and more proactive <laughs> over time um can you remember and this is also like something out here that i'm going to put to the community um, I, I don't know much around what happened when long-term capital management, uh, had their little, um, what do you want to call it? Snafu in the, uh, in the, in the nineties, oh, was it 98 or 97 yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, all I know is that long-term capital management had like the magic formula and suddenly you had all these municipalities and retirement funds tied to it because it was, it was, it had like. Um, you know, uh, steady returns and then I know that it it crashed and it was about to pull down everything <laughs> with it. Um, I hear some interesting stories about banks <laughs> that were involved in the bailout. Um, but can you tell me Jake, do you happen to know if the Fed was also directly uh, related to a bailout around long-term capital management?
1: Oh, long you know what all I remember about long-term capital management was they're like hey we have the secret math formula yeah and I was all yeah you don't have a secret math formula the market's gonna do what the market does there's no like hey if I put XYZ together I'm automatically gonna get ABC like you can't you can't do that but you know you show uh, a fixed income guy, hey, I can get five percent return year over year. They're gonna, they're just going to pile money and they're just going to back the truck up, being like, yeah, look at these guys and their track record. I believe at one point during um, the investigation, they had like some guy in their their basement when like the regulators showed up to kind of see what's going on, and he was just printing out random documents and shoveling the books that they were supposed to actually have on file at any time.
0: Yeah, and I think I think so. you uh, you told me something interesting about uh, two two banks that um, I think it was you two banks that didn't that's that kind of stepped aside and said no we're not gonna we're not gonna help bail out long-term capital management and then those two banks what happened to them uh, come 2008 <laughs> when they were <laughs> looking at a little bit of trouble uh, do, do you know about that story are you the one that, that gave me that information?
1: It sounds it sounds familiar. You gotta figure out I have five kids, so I'm tired sometimes. So my <laughs> brain's sometimes it fails to queue up that type of stuff. But um when there was bailouts needed and there is banks with liquidity and the treasury department and the federal reserves goes, Hey banks, you know, we'll help you with this deal. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If you help us out here. And those banks go, you know what? We're not going to do that. Um, usually we, when investigations show up again down the line, because all banks are going to get investigated down the line, you know, it, you, nefarious things happen to them.
0: Yeah, I think, um, so, so what I heard was <laughs> specifically, uh, uh, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns uh, didn't, didn't step in to help out with the long-term capital management uh, bailout in the late 90s. And so when it came time, uh, you know, for them, them to be stuck with toxic debt, you know, too much, too much collateral and, and no liquidity, you know, is what they were facing, uh, that, you know, everyone else around them was like, hey, no, you know you didn't you didn't step up you weren't team players back then uh so we're just gonna let the you know invisible hand of the market take you down so Lehman Brothers Bear Stearns of course both both crash and then uh I think I think the you know the uh, people started to act once one of the team players was under pressure like Bank of America or Country uh no Bank of America bought Countryside um bought up their debt yeah Countrywide right um but I, I know that that was starting to go systemic. Uh, I know that you know J.P. Morgan and Goldman were were both uh, facing a lot of uh, toxic debt that was you know gonna gonna blow up in their face. All those obligations, um, you know, and I know that uh, what was it was it AIG that was like the the tipping point there.
1: Well, AIG actually has. Assets Like they actually own jets, construction companies. They they own a bunch of assets. So so bailing them out made sense because they had collateral they could have put up. Also, AIG happened to be where a huge amount of government retirement funds happened to just sit out the time too. So not good for letting that one kind of uh, fall under. But Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, their exposure to retirement funds to the government side wasn't as big as AIG. So AIG was like the stopgap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You think, uh, uh, I think you told me that AIG had all those, like retirement funds, uh, tied up and, um, you know, that's, that's one of the, the, that's one of the ideas. What do you, and I want to get your take on this. One of my ideas is that the, the fed, um, their new, their new mandate, I guess, (laughs) is to, uh, uh, is to protect retirement values, retirement assets, um, and, gosh, I don't know, uh, keep keep the credit markets liquid at any cost, right? I think that's like the true yeah. dual mandate. I've heard that while everyone believes, you know, it's like, oh, Janet Janet Yellen, uh, Granny Yellen was this huge dove, you know, ready to just endlessly print. Um, I, I've <laughs> actually heard that Jay, Jay Powell, um, ironically, Jay Powell, who, who came out and said like, hey, this is something you know, printing out all this money, it's, it's creating all these problems. We need to avoid it. Lo and behold, I think because he's so familiar with just how, um, you know, how bad it is that he happens to know all the levers to pull, (laughs) you know, so it kind of, it makes him the best thing. It's kind of like one of those, those movies where they're like, oh, we need to catch a robber. So they, they hire a thief. To work with the detectives to catch a robber. Of course, the thief is an <laughs> expert at it because they, they have they know it intimately. And uh, and I think that Jay Powell has uh, is like the most proactive. Um, you know, watching the credit markets and liquidity compared to uh, any of his prior you know any of his predecessors out there. I think he's just ready ready to go, ready to pump in uh, liquidity to keep that um, that going.
1: Well, you know the difference between Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, Alan Greenspan, and uh, Jay Powell, right?
0: No, what's that?
1: Uh, Jay Powell is actually a banker. <laughs> like he... So, um, he actually works in the banking industry. Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, they're economists. Mm. So, they work in theory and hypotheticals, and Jay Powell's like, hey, I, I actually used a shovel in my life. Like, I know exactly where the bodies are buried, and Drone, uh, Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke are like we can theoretically figure out where this is, and Jay Powell is the one's like, no, it's right there. We need to fix that right there. <laughs> and uh, Janet Yellen, I'll give her some credit. She's actually the Fed chair that ended quantitative easing and was raising interest rates. I know interest rates are like barely there, but um, she was actually ending that when she left, and Drone Powell is the one who actually kept it going, and he's the one that kind of. Uh, kind of messed up the repo market, but he tried to fix it as much as he could. Yeah. So, um, you you have to give some credit to Janet Yellen. She was a, a pretty dovish, but, you know, she actually ended quantitative easing and raised interest rates, so...
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really difficult uh, you know thing. Like I, I think about it, and um, because everything's so so connected nowadays, uh, I don't I don't envy the job of Fed chief, right? I mean, you know, Janet Yellen <laughs> yeah. Janet Yellen had to try try to increase some some uh, interest rates to have some like some runway, some flexibility, so that we'd have you know some tools in the toolbox, uh, and she could only go so far. Um, I think that's even more restricted under, uh, you know, uh, under Powell. And at the end of the day, you know, it's easy. uh, It's easy for for someone like me to say, like, oh, you know, let's go back to 2008, 2009. Let the entire thing crumble. Let it let it just crash. And then, you know, everything will just reset and everything will be, you know, roses and puppies and kittens, but that's not, that's not the truth. In a way I'm kind of, you know, I think about it now and I think of all the leverage and liquidity that corporations depend on. And I think that there's maybe a little nefariousness there where, where the fed has already tipped its hat. They've already showed its hand. They've already, uh, demonstrated that, you know, if, if the, if, if corporations, if banks lever up, if they, if they are just, you know, uh, Full speed, full gas towards a cliff, right? That the Fed every single time will come in and try to stop the brakes, or, or uh, you know, give it a little bit more runway, add a little bit more to the bridge. I don't know what the <laughs> what the right analogy visual is here. Um, you know but i would also add you know like the the banks and the corporations with like a a gun to grandma's head and just saying like we're gonna take you know if we go grandma goes all of her her housing value (laughs) goes her entire life saving goes you know and so and everyone loves grandma so you better you better come in here and that fed sheet should start you know you better come in with with uh we what was it two trillion now you know, oh, the cynic in so me is like, money. it's it's going to be two trillion now. Is everyone just gaffs at? And you know, I think sooner it's uh, sooner than later. Maybe a few years, we're going to see ten trillion or twenty trillion, and then we're just going to get oh, kind of used knows? to it. <laughs> I don't know. What do you uh, What do you think is there Is there a limit to the Fed balance sheet?
1: That. Uh, that's a good question. I, I I don't know. Like when everyone in the world is pretty much devaluing their currency like crazy, um, you know, where's the floor? Eventually you have like systemic failure of capital, but as long as the good faith and credit is there, you know, things keep going, which is takes you into the MMT kind of realm. But, uh, when it comes to Powell and keeping credit markets going, people forget that during this, um, COVID crisis in 2020, the federal reserve was already bailing out the repo market. Like it was before COVID hit and all this liquidity happened. Jerome Powell was bailing out the credit facility inside the repo market. Like, that was already happening. And then when COVID hit, they just gave him the ability to bail out the municipal bond market, the retirement bond market. It He was buying corporate debt, too, during all this. And I'm not talking, like, companies that really needed a lifeline. He was buying corporate debt from Apple, Microsoft. He was buying AAA companies' credit debt during all this just to keep capital flowing. Yeah. So, I... They, they had to do something to keep it going. And um, he recently ended the credit facility where they are buying mutual funds and buying uh, municipal bonds, which is just kind of crazy if you think about it. So, um, liquidity might actually start getting tighter here that people don't want to talk about in... Another thing I'd kind of be scared about this, and this actually worries me at night, is the repo rate in the United States is currently drawn down to the point to where in a few weeks we might actually see – we might actually have to see the government issue new debt, and the Fed is going to be hoarding all this collateral, and they're trying to form something, so – Uh, liquidity is also an issue that people aren't talking about. And as you know, as liquidity starts getting crunched, what happens to the market once liquidity starts to dry up? Yeah. So is there a floor, how much money they can print? I don't know, but they're, they're trying something right now. Like they did in 2019, uh, 2019 when it comes to the repo market. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. So I, I don't really have an answer. Is there infinite money that can be printed out? But it does seem like as though that infinite money is getting curtailed just a little bit here.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and I just want to take a little break here. I want to head over to the chat room. So I've gone ahead. I've loaded up for our viewers of the, of the video, um, our chat room, and we have a comment from Sam H. Trader. I think it's pretty on the nose. Doesn't that create a fake economy when the Fed keeps dumping so much money into the market? And are they only helping the large institutions to get richer on the backs of the taxpayer? Um, and then we also have, uh, uh, options trader, um, chiming in with something salient in my honest opinion, without fed intervention in the early 2020 would, we, pr- we, would probably be in a recession now and maybe even a deep depression, which, um, you know, I'll, 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 uh, start here just by saying like, yeah, I think that harkens back to the high stakes where, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, Hey, this is all fake. This is all rigged. The best thing to do would uh would just be you know go full bore austrian economics full <laughs> austerity no more spending you know Keynes Keynes out the keynesianism out the window we're not gonna stimulate we're not gonna issue more debt we're just no never again everything's just gonna have to crash right and and the, and i know in the back of of some very you know, like traditional economy, economists kinds of heads right now. Uh, They are just feeling so much relief at just the idea of like, yeah, things need to just work like a a completely unencumbered free market, free hand of the economy, which has never existed any time in history. (laughs) It's this, it is this utopian dream that has never actually existed in any, any real capacity for any real uh, country of any any kind of notable size, like ever, I think in the in the in history of the world, um, you know. And then we also have the opposite side of that. Is like, okay, well, even if we were trying to were to go toward that utopia, the the reality of that is that everyone's going to have to suffer. Everyone, uh, well, except for the ultra rich, but everyone's going to basically just be in debt. Paying it off for the rest of their life, you know, and just we'll just have to scrap a, a couple generations to to get everything back, <laughs> get everything back to normal, you know, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think anyone's willing to sign up for that one. So,
1: <laughs> well, they actually tried to do that whole free market capital thing before the Fed existed, and it led to the Fed existing. So there was um, J.P. Morgan. The actual J.P. Morgan. He was the, actually one of the big instruments in keeping the economy going in the United States because no one had any money to lend. And eventually in a free economy, you know, you, you think about that everyone starts hoarding things and eventually there's no credit and there's no facility of money moving anymore. So money just becomes pretty much the dead trade. And if no one's trading money and no one's has money, uh, then who can buy bread, you know?
0: Yeah, if, uh, you know... If, like, I, I try to think of, because I'm, I'm just, I like to think about these things, uh, and and one of the big tenets that that I think, like, uh, that should be, you know, one of the true mandates of the Fed is is uh, <laughs> velocity of money, right? Uh, because I, I think that they're still tied to this old uh, monetarism, uh, Milton Friedman ideal from way back when, uh, which. A whole other topic, but but uh, uh, <laughs> I read an interesting book about Friedman a while back, and how he he just kind of came up with all these these theories that were just widely instantly accepted, but none of the data proved it out. And in fact, he had a theory that was sitting around, and he just kept it. He kind of hid all the results of that data forever until there was an economic uh, something that happened in the economy that backed up his idea. And then he came out of nowhere and said, "Hey, here we go. The, here's the answer. I was right, even though he had been wrong forever <laughs> on that. He just kind of waited, and uh, you know, and and so everyone just kind of jumped on to this this very shaky idea. Um, but it was appealing to the to the right people in power, and everyone's kind of ignored the uh, the data. But with the uh, you know, with retirement increasing, um, you know, uh, across the country, that velocity of money I see is just you know slowly slowly coming uh slowing down and and you know things grinding kind of kind of to a halt and you know i, I think that the uh, fed balance sheet is also maybe an expression of that as well
1: well they, well, they said they weren't even going to post the m1 money supply anymore for a while which is pretty much the velocity of money mm-hmm. and but um, to get to let's see, option traders' opinion when it came to Fed in- intervention. Well, you take into account that if municipalities failed, uh, it's kind of sometimes hard to run a hospital if it's a county hospital and they can't pay their doctors, or say you can't get to somewhere because your municipal bonds fail because there's no more people fixing the road. So Fed intervention is not necessarily a bad thing in moderate amounts. It's just um, when you're printing out more money than what a human Person could physically spend in its lifetime. I think that two trillion dollars they printed out is enough to give everyone on the planet Earth like what two hundred bucks or something ridiculous like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I, so I remember it, I, it, I did. It's, it's not. I did some math, and I think that if uh, uh, if you uh, if you if you just take took the adult population of the U.S., you know, like shaved off, I think you you come to for easy math, you come to a figure of like two hundred fifty million. Uh, and then if you, um, if you look at like the, the trillions involved in that, then it's like, okay, well, let's say you wanted to give, um, what was it? Uh, uh $10 that's like 2 billion. Um, so then you, then you go up, uh, to two point point. we'll say 2.5 trillion, so about some I came to a number of like if you if all that money just strictly was broken up and evenly distributed, everyone would have received like eight thousand dollars, <laughs> right? All the all tax paying yeah. adults in the U.S. would just receive like an eight thousand dollars check. Of course, you know, I think I think the lion's share of that money went uh, went to like just keeping putting a floor under the the stock market <laughs> and like. And uh, specifically because of the credit market um, involved in there, Uh, you know, to to kind of backtrack a little bit to uh, an idea. I want to see what you think about this is like uh, what I heard about the repo market, which is something that I also keep track of um, the repo market. For instance, uh, uh, there was a, a Bloomberg article on February 12th. It was, I think, the 12th or the 13th. And the Bloomberg article was talking about how there was uh, the the Fed was going to going to stop or scale back their their uh, liquidity operations in the repo market, uh, and specifically the 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 fact that it was a liquidity operation pumping in liquidity was something to keep it keep note of. So they're stopping that, and then lo and behold, oh, suddenly COVID, uh, COVID, coronavirus, whatever. Suddenly that's important <laughs> on that day. Yeah, you know, it wasn't important back in January when you know uh, when when it was it was pretty clear that everything was going to shut down and you know there was a sharp dip in the markets and suddenly February hits and the markets go right back up to all time highs. It was only <laughs> important <laughs> once that liquidity, once that floor was pulled out, that rug, and then now all of a sudden everything just collapsed. Um, uh, kind of like what uh, uh, Sam Sam H Trader or uh options trader forget which which here um where okay sam h trader saying uh if if the money stops and it seems like uh it's just gonna crash right um you know so i i believe that as well i think that there's kind of a a default the default of the market uh at this point i would imagine is just down and that it is it is tied specifically (laughs) the reason it's up in my head is tied specifically to that flow. That flow of, of free money, right? Uh, and it expresses itself yeah. oh, I, that way. Um,
1: oh, I agree totally. As long as the free money keeps flowing, there's the Tina trade is still on. There is nowhere else. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, so the reason why I was saying like, well, pumping liquidity in is the big is the big key. There is because recently, uh, what I've heard is they are they're working in the repo market. Um, but what they're doing in the repo market is they're taking liquidity out. Because we're in a such scenario where um, the repo market, uh, everyone's cash heavy, actually. Uh, I, even, I even read, the article I read even implied that like uh, banks have too much cash. Uh, now, in my head, of course, it's like, well, if you have too much cash, just just loan to small business. Because I'm a big believer in small business. But nope, they don't want to do that. <laughs> Instead, uh, there's something going on where they're buying like more uh, treasuries, even though the treasuries that are getting issued offer like no return at all, they would rather have that than give it to a small business uh, person or somebody who wants to start a small business. They'd rather just put it away somewhere where it won't lose value indefinitely. <laughs> just, just keep it out of the system. Um, but, but yeah, um, you know, my understanding on that is, is uh, in general, when you're collateral heavy and liquidity low, that's when things fall apart. Um, and I can also imagine, you know, taking that liquidity out of the market might slow things down maybe to, uh, address inflation concerns. Um, I dunno, what do you, uh, what do you think about, about their, the recent thing, the, how they're tackling inflation?
1: So they're, they're actually, as I said earlier, they're, they're really starting to crack down on how many, uh, treasury bonds are out there to the, to the point to where the United States government might have to issue. New debt because the Fed is holding up so much at that collateral from the repo market that banks are going to start having a hard time going out to buy treasuries because there just won't be treasuries to buy because the Federal Reserve is just holding on to so many. And so by doing that, it really slows down the market too because it slows up credit. It's slowing down credit. So they're trying to affect the market that way. Also, the Fed is trying to form a repo bank themselves it, it could be you know for years and years and years the fed was the uh, bank of last resort when it comes to the repo market but
0: yeah it's uh and when you first when you said that when you uttered those words i was like oh isn't that just like the fed becoming the bank of first resort I don't, I don't know i don't know why why banks just wouldn't go straight there for uh you know for everything that they do um you know if they if they have all these So guarantees, that's what they're doing right yeah
1: um, but in turn, you're not going to have repo markets where they go, like, uh, I think it was February. as you said the repo market overnight lending went from like 10 to like 15 to 20% because no one wanted to lend. Yeah. The Fed is going to say, okay, you want to borrow, you'll get five basis points. And you might be saying five basis points. That's like nothing. But you figure five basis points of billions of dollars is a lot of money. It's a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. So the Federal Reserve might be trying to form that um, that repo bank instead of being the bank of last resort they're the bank of first resort and by doing that it could fix some of this credit facility problems we have but again is that part of their mandate originally like is it is it their mandate to do that type of stuff and the answer is not really the the fed should not be the bank of first resort it should be the um the movers of the economy not the first one you go to when you need money
0: yeah um but hey, if you're if you're a cynic like me, and you believe that the feds, <laughs> the feds' true mandates are uh, asset values and credit liquidity, it would uh, it, on for the credit liquidity arm uh, mandate the the I don't know what you call this the secret mandate the, the, the cynical secret mandate. <laughs> um, yeah, that would work like a charm because it's just way more efficient. You just you can uh, you can just directly affect the the levers of the credit market. Um, you know, uh, much more efficiently. Than just uh, issuing and and relying on on uh, some sort of auctioning process and everything like that, you can just step in there and be like, okay, well, it's the the new the new balance is this because we pulled our levers and this is how it is now. So because we say so, and that's all it takes. There you go. We pushed a button in the computer. Um, you know, I I, I always th- hear something about digital currency about how like oh it's not real it's not real and then you talk about money creation and uh yeah somebody at the at the end of it on the other end uh is literally just pushing a button on a computer and boom suddenly 60 billion dollars exists you know and it exists in a bank account somewhere
1: (laughs) so i know we don't have time for this but i might blow your mind right now when it comes to (laughs) when it comes to digital currency go for it (laughs) so so China is already starting to come out with the digital yuan. And what they're trying to do with it is instead of having, when you get a quarter, it says the day it's minted on it, mm-hmm. on those coins, it has a date when it expires on it. So they're trying to push out a digital currency that says, hey, this coin is only good for 30 days. If you don't use it, well, that quarter is now lost forever.
0: Brilliant. That would solve, that obviously solves the, uh, the velocity of money problem, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. And so the EU is starting to look at that situation as well, because to be honest, the EU is pretty much the major credit facilitator in that country now. I mean, Christine Lagarde has pretty much bought every bond possible. The interest rate's so low and they're buying back their own currency that they're looking at doing that type of digital currency as well. And then the Bank of Japan is also looking at that. And can you imagine we're going to live in a time to where that quarter when it's print, it doesn't tell you the date that it was printed. It tells you the date that you need to use it or you lose it. What would that do for the velocity of money? I mean, you have a billionaire and you tell them, yeah, you have a billion dollars for the next 30 days. <laughs> and if you don't use it, it's gone. Can you imagine what that's going to do to asset prices down the line?
0: Well, like it, I mean, that- okay. So, so coming again, uh, you know, Mr. Cynic here, um, if there's one thing that I've noticed about about uh, you know uh, uh, anyone anyone that uh, is in control of a large amount of money, uh, it's that the incentive is to uh, quote unquote innovate, right? And so, anytime I read innovate in the financial space, I automatically think, "Hey, there's something illegal." but we found a legal way around it. <laughs> you know, so I can already in my mind think like, okay, well, if it's an expiration thing, just uh, just do what already exists out there. Have a thousand varied partners in your business and limited partners and a whole network of companies that are constantly doing fake services and business with each other just to say like, <laughs> hey, uh, I this money was spent. I no longer own it. It's it's now the property of this other LLC who holds on to it for what was it thirty days, twenty nine days, <laughs> and then and then <laughs> moves it off. You know for to the to another company. I don't know for what uh, marketing is technically one hundred percent depreciable in a tax cycle. So you can technically just be like, oh, we bought an ad. We bought a five billion dollar <laughs> billboard <laughs> ad <laughs> uh, next so. to the highway. You know, for that's owned by this one LLC and you just constantly go you know, back and forth, back and forth just to get around that, that expiration?
1: <laughs> well, if I... So, if I was a crooked businessman, and I'm not saying that I am at all, but it, say if I was and I wanted a way to kind of facilitate money transfer, mm-hmm. uh, what I would do is I would go and say, oh, man, that... That photo is amazing. I'm going to go to Sotheby's and give them $100 million for that That one photo that, you know, they haven't even told me if it was legit by the artists at all. And that $100 million is now going to go into that asset. And it just so happens that company A bought it. And they say, hey, company C, how would you like this painting for $100 million? Wink, wink, nodge nodge. And now you have capital flow that way. And you don't even have to go through the, all that LLC process. You could just say, I bought this asset. It's worth this much. And then when you go to sell it, someone goes, oh, yeah, that's totally worth that. And now you facilitate around that uh, expiration of that that currency real quickly there. Yeah. Which um, I'm not saying it happens nowadays through um, art auctions and how, to, how they move capital out of there. But I'm kind of saying it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh- so, so, I mean... That, that's two steps right now to negate that, um, to negate that coupon where it ends. But in the meantime, as companies try to figure out how to move that currency, they're going to buy everything that's a physical asset. They're going to buy houses, cars. They're going to buy anything that you can't print more of. And so the real estate market's going to continue to kind of, um, kind of explode because you can print out as much money as you want, Theoretically, but you can't print out more homes or lands to put on those homes. And so you're going to have an issue around there too. That's why I always tell people to kind of keep a watch on REITs because REITs, as long as this infinite money game continues to go on, is probably something you want to keep a watch on.
0: Yeah. You know what? If you're free Friday, this is a whole other topic <laughs> to get to like <laughs> why, why fixed assets um, like collectibles and houses and Bitcoin and stuff like that uh, are, are uh, are are basically tracking the fed balance sheet you know um but it, it also to, to, to bring it on back uh, it, you know it also speaks to um why you know the argument against uh inflation um you know one of the things here uh that i want to i want to point out well two of the things one i want to uh, hop over to the chat room lisa says fact that fed acted quickly to save their economy uh, but government stimulus is excessive is excessive um it plants the seed for market correction down the road we'll move with caution uh i can see the logic behind that i can definitely see the logic behind that um i uh the only thing i'll disagree with is is that ultimately i i think that over leverage over leverage of some kind is essentially what what i see is the is the cause of uh of of most of the stock market crashes going all the way back to uh, you know savings and loan scandal from the 80s and <laughs> things like that where there's just a way to balloon money um, or going back to the 1920s where there was a wet crazy you could you could own stock for like a tenth of the value um, and creating just tons and tons of leverage in the economy I think that, that ultimately when that pops uh, is is uh, what creates all the structural uh, problems mainly, mainly outside of uh, uh, in the inflation thing so this is a nice segue into an inflation thing so Jake Sadly cannot see this chart, but uh, if you're, if you're curious, Jake, you can load it up in your computer. All I did is a Google search. I did a Google search of inflation (laughs) Uh, versus ten year treasury, right? Inflation versus ten year treasury. Um, If I go to images on this, then there's an interesting image uh, of uh, a chart here where it shows inflation versus ten year treasury bonds uh, and uh, a history a highlighted history of, of of recessions going back all the way uh to the to the 50s so one of the things that's that's kind of interesting about this is that typically around a recession there's always a dip in inflation uh afterwards and then of course subsequently comes back right um and that 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 plays itself out over and over and over again uh since the 80s you know since the 80s which uh which i mentioned is was kind of the peak and I'll even say that uh, I happen to know that um, in one of the books that that I, that I read, they said at one point in the 80s, on one day in the 80s, uh, <laughs> you could buy a U.S. Treasury uh, bond and you could it was paying out something like 20 or 25 percent on that bond. It was crazy. And I, I can I can looking at this chart where there's this huge peak, I can almost guarantee you that's that's what it had to you know, that's where it was. Uh, at one point, uh, maybe not for the, for the, the 10 year, I think maybe it was for a longer, uh, longer bond that you could buy, uh, there. Um, uh, but ever since that point, inflation has just kind of trended down. It's, it's trended down over and over again. You do have that, that, um, that little thing that, uh, that appears here where after, right after, um, the end of, uh, of, uh, a recession, there is an uptick in, um, There's an uptick in the uh, in the inflation, normally, Uh, and then you know we're here we are uh, after 2001 there was uh, after 2008 2009 there was and I need to find one that is that is uh, more and more recent here because there was like a really brief um, really brief uh, 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 recession around uh, uh, you know the Corona dip um, Corona economy or whatever you want to call it. and, and, you know, the, the inflation metrics, so that's what I want to get to here. The inflation metrics that, that we're seeing here um, are compared year over year. And what I've seen in the charts is that the lowest point of inflation was last year around May or June, right? And so all that needed to happen was inflation just had to come back uh, to pre-COVID levels in order for there to be a delta showing, like oh my gosh, inflation skyrocketing, <laughs> right? But the chart that I saw, inflation didn't even come back to that point. It's just the fact that it that it recovered so quickly that is you know generating all these headlines around inflation. And in fact, um, you know, if I had to put my money on it, I would bet that it's just going to stall out this summer and it's going to go right back to slowly just just fading off and uh you know just just slowly dipping down and uh and i i kind of see some logic in the fed trying to like delay any kind of big action or saying like oh this is all transitory because if that's the case if the last 40 years are any indicator it is transitory <laughs> and we're just going to end up <laughs> with inflation going down and down and down uh to the point where uh you know everyone's expecting negative it's expecting it to go negative and I can kind of see the logic behind that. Cause like, there's so little room for it to drop anymore. Um, I know it's unfair cause you can't see this, you know, can't see the chart, um, or maybe you already loaded it up, Jake. Uh, but yeah. Well, link you, it, link it in the that? chat so I can see it. Do <laughs> what
1: this <laughs> put the link in chat and I can see it.
0: Cut the what in chat.
1: Put the link to the, oh, the website oh, okay, you're using yeah, for the yeah. chart. So I'll do that.
0: Let me let me see here. Uh, I'm gonna copy this very long, long thing. I'm gonna <laughs> paste it in the Wall Street AO chat. <laughs> Boom. Actually, I don't know if this is gonna work. Let me see. Nope. Uh, let me let me see if I can find, uh, find it.
1: I'm just short. Just shorten the link. <laughs> I'm trying
0: to. I'm trying to. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna to have to do Ooh. this. Uh, I'll send you a slack. Let me see. Where's the slack here?
1: Oh, uh, I'll take th- yeah. slack. That fancy, works, right? Um, that is fancy. <laughs> There's Kathy right there, to the rescue.
0: Oh, did Kathy? Kathy put it in? Uh, copy no, she link. helped you
1: get the shortened, the shortened link. So, as you're giving me that link, I want to answer Lisa's question. If you're okay with there that, there you go. Yeah. Uh,
0: so I pasted the very long link in.
1: Uh, there we go. Yeah.
0: And I've seen an oh, updated version right. of this before too, where you know, inflation uh, with the COVID thing. This one shows inflation around. Uh, it ends with the uh, the uh, the global financial crisis.
1: Well, who didn't who didn't see that crash coming? I mean literally they, they were letting dogs write loans on real estate
0: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's an interesting chart that's pretty cool yeah um,
0: yeah it's it's pretty neat um it's pretty neat, neat little thing oh tiny url so kathy uh i guess i could have pasted that in uh i'm gonna do that anyway uh and make a tiny url let's see
1: um so Lisa has to say, yes, I think the the Fed is a great tool. It, it was made to use as a tool, but over time it's been used as a political tool to um, patch a Band-Aid for what should have been fixed by government action. And so um, the, Fed, the Fed tries as much as they can. I, I, they literally talk twice a year in front of Congress, begging them to do something and not rely on the Fed so much. And Congress goes, we'll get right on that. Wink, wink, nod, nod.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I th- I guess uh you know what um, and it is 12 so so uh i hate to uh cut things short here uh but before jake hopped on uh jake was literally on the road he was like hey you know i think i i, I might be able to actually make it today so he kind of just threw this slapped it together made it happen so we can hop on this i think this stuff is is entertaining myself uh you know i was gonna i was gonna try and mention i guess it doesn't really need too much analysis i can remember uh i can remember you know, Powell in front of Congress and he's replying to MMT and just saying like, Oh, well I, you know, the whole premise of MMT where you can just, uh, you know, print money to, to solve your own debt problems. Like, uh, that's fundamentally (laughs) wrong. And then you kind of see him like do it over and over and over again. And like, uh, it just, yeah, you kind of scratch your head around like, okay. So the pattern here is for Powell to come out and say, Hey, this is there's a systemic problem and you know we got to stop doing this and then I bet that I guess the bet is that within a year he'll, he's going to do that. He's going to do exactly what he said is the thing that that government shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, or that the fed should Yeah, for do. sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, just keep a watch the repo market if that liquidity starts tightening up really tight there. Yeah. That's when that um, yeah, that's when things are gonna start getting a little bit dodgy and come around September time when everyone has to go back to work. Um, and people aren't making as much money as they were when they were on stimulus, you have to have something that's going to break. Either prices go down or they don't, and then we have another issue down the line. So the inflation could be transitory until people have less money to buy goods and services, and then if people buy good, less goods and services, those earnings are going to be lower. So just something to think about.
0: That's a great note to leave the show on. Uh, looking over in the chat room, uh, we have some thanks here. Uh, options Trader saying, reminds me of my long ago grad classes in macroeconomics. Uh, thanks for that, thanks for that. I'm not a macro guy myself, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm the equivalent of a coffee table macro guy. <laughs> a coffee table book. Uh, Donna BP saying, country is desperate for infrastructure improvements. That is also true. And a thanks from Ray. Hey, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. hopefully jake uh, will be available again in the future i love to have him on great response from the community Uh, you know coming up next there's some different show ideas Uh, maybe jake maybe uh micah maybe or if i'm flying solo then there's a there's a whole china thing that i want to get into as well uh so Definitely stay tuned for that. We're going to have another breakout show uh, this Friday, and uh, it's a there's also a pretty new show that's starting on Monday. Uh, I'm spearheading that show, and it has to do with uh, strategies. So we always get tons of new members joining over the weekend, and there's there's always confusion around strategies on the website. So we made a whole show right around the time that the market's closing so that i can actually take a look at some of the strategies that are closing in the discovery channel and hopefully answer some questions and give some like really practical tips about looking at the stats about planning trades things like that again thank you so much guys everyone have uh, have a great rest of your trading day and we'll see you again on friday